This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast, Season 8, Episode 14. I am John DiCarlo, joined once again by Kyle Gauss. Javon Edmonds and Caden Steele, the latter of the two, are eating wings right now from Wingstop, dressed fairly well, both bespectacled, wearing their glasses, needing wings. What's up, guys? We've got the, uh, 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 hold on, what's what their name? Sam and Dave type thing going on over here. Sam and Dave? What? Sam and Dave, hold on, I'm coming, the song. Oh. There you go. Yeah. Here we go. That's unlicensed music. That'll make it through. Yeah, you just demonetized <laughs> the scoop. Yes. <laughs> How's everybody doing? Doing well. Uh, Javon keeps convincing me to go to Wingstop just because the line is short. So about four out of seven days this week. I'm doing well. Not sure how my heart's doing, but you know, <laughs> we're here on the scoop. We're just... Wings aren't like that bad for you. Yeah. It depends. Like are, fr- are they naked wings or fried wings? They're fried naked. Okay, but they're not breaded. No, no. Okay, then yeah, they're not that bad for you. There you go. As long as you only eat like 20, you're probably fine. <laughs> I do 10, a large fry and a large power eating. Yeah, time. you're also 21 years old. You can live off a of cardboard. You'll be yeah. fine. <laughs> Hit the gym. You'll be all right. There you Don't. Go. You'll still probably be fine. We're all going to die anyway, Caden. <laughs> you might as, well enjoy, <laughs> might, as well enjoy, might as well enjoy the food on the way. Is this your slow march toward death? Some days it feels like a fast march towards death. But yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Apologize for the barking dogs in the background, if you guys can hear that. Well, for those of you who are not listening to the Nonstop Phillies and Eagles podcast, we thank you for stopping by and listening to The Scoop. If you haven't subscribed to The Scoop already and you like what you're hearing here, we are available on all the major podcast platforms. So stop by any of those to subscribe to The Scoop, drop us a rating and review. Uh, helps elevate the the. The presence of the podcast and the presence of Temple Sports Sports Talk on those platforms. So, John, once they're listening by. to the scoop, you don't have to tell them how to listen to the scoop. They're already here. They could be listening right off the website, Kyle. That's fine too. It all counts. Them to subscribe. <laughs> don't get in my way of getting more listeners. Don't impede our path. Sitting in your in your leather chair and your is that a faux plant or is that a real plant back there? It's probably faux leather too, but yeah, it's definitely a faux plant. I'm in a basement. How would it be living? I don't know, take it out, water it every once in a while. That's like way Nick, too much. Like Nick Sirianni told us. Throw where you're planted. Yeah, something something like that. You gotta yeah, fertilize the soil or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Well, <clears throat> got another temple loss to talk about, another temple football game to preview. Hello, women's women's hoops to talk later on in the pod. Some recruiting to talk about later on in the pod. Famous number 14s. Oscar Robertson. Stefan Diggs. Frank Reich. This one isn't a great one because Philadelphia won't like this, but Riley Cooper. Caden. Yeah. <laughs> um, very good first baseman for the White Sox. Frank Thomas? Paul Canarco. Yeah. No, Frank Thomas wore 42, right? Did Frank he? Thomas's head is the biggest head I've ever seen. I yeah, he's huge. I was noticing that last night. I was like, you're just a, just a massive head. I wonder what made your head get that big. Twice last, twice last night, he said this could be a short series. I'm, um, 
here for it. I mean, I hope he's right, but I don't know. It could be. Yeah, Baseball I feel like I'm missing somebody. Kenny Gainwell wears 14 for the Eagles right now, I guess. If Kenny Gainwell, who they should have upgraded to Naheem Hines during the last 100%. week. <laughs> Everybody's favorite degenerate, former Philly and broadcaster, Pete Rose. Pete Rose, yeah. Charles Barkley on the Olympic team. You have every Olympic number memorized. I don't think I can tell you a single Olympic number. I'm a basketball freak. Yeah. Um, oh, Oscar uh, Schmidt. That's a real basketball one for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Perfect Wonderlick. Perfect Wonderlick. Oh, Otto Graham was number 14, too. And Dan Fouts. Oh. Ryan Dan Fouts. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Mm. Ryan Fitzpatrick was recently critical of Sam's boy, Zach Wilson, right? Didn't I, I, don't, I don't think Sam is a Zach Wilson guy anymore. I think he's pretty firmly done with Zach Wilson. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it, just, it, took him, it took him a year and a half longer than everybody else, but I think he's finally done <laughs> Ryan Fitzpatrick has been spitting the hot takes on the Amazon Prime halftime show. Yes. He, he also has. like went on a podcast, talked a bunch of crap about Tom Brady, and then had to cover Tom Brady like the next week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh wow. Anyway, Temple is coming off a 27-20 overtime loss at Navy. Another week where we can say this was uh, a winnable game for the Owls. More more storylines to this one, you know. Uh, Eight straight weeks where there are eight different offensive line combinations. Adam Klein did not play. James Famenu did not play. Rich Rodriguez did not play. Unfortunately, he was involved in a, in a car accident, and he sustained a, a, a concussion from that car accident. Uh, we'll, we'll touch on this a little bit later when we talk about matchups for this week. But uh, Stan Drayton, back with the team, did not coach the team uh, this past Saturday, had some sort of viral infection. I think he still kind of looked exhausted on, on Monday. Uh, to say the least, but he was back in the building. He's supposed to coach the Owls this Saturday against USF, but he said that they're not expecting Rich Rodriguez to play Saturday. So the hope for Temple will be that you have Adam Klein back at center, James Famineau back at one of the guard positions. We'll see. Donica Sanders also did not play in the game. Everett Withers, again, coached the team. A lot of ups and downs from Maude Anderson, muffed a punt that led to a Navy touchdown, had a block in the back penalty, but also caught a touchdown pass, had that incredible one-handed catch that got them in position uh, to win the game. And, you know, they defended the the triple option fairly well most of the day and then ultimately lost because they allowed Navy's backup quarterback uh, to score on them in overtime. So, Javon, Caden, you guys were there. I'll start with you guys. General takeaways from from this one on Saturday, other than the, the beautiful scenery. At one point, Javon and I turned to each other and said, would you rather be just – Sitting over there and watching watching boats and relaxing. Before I let them talk about the actual game, I didn't even know you guys were going to Annapolis, let alone was I invited to go to Annapolis. Just throwing that out there. You told oh, me talk, earlier talk to John. this season. That, we're hands off on this. You one. told me earlier this season when you, you came to nope. the homecoming nope. game. Nope. This Javon, what did you only, think about the game? This is the only the game? game I'm going to be covering this season. You told me that. No, I did not because I did not know that at the time. So that's 100% a fabrication in your mind. I would have you said the invite. that. You said Annapolis this is a great city. I may, might have found a way to do it. You never know. Unfortunately, now we got to talk to. The Alsco booking department because now I'm going to go cover a random road game for basketball. <laughs> okay. Anyway, you the furthest you trip. Told, you told me that you weren't going to be covering any other games this season. Well, then. Um, <laughs> Kyle looked off in the distance or to the wall. Well, Kyle gathers his emotions and I now feel <laughs> sad for him. Um, <laughs> you, you, you brought up some stuff that just brings up a lot in my mind right now. Number one, God bless Stan's heart. 
for being at that person on Monday. I mean, he, he still looked so bad. Like, I felt compelled and told him, Coach, take it easy on his way out of the press room. Like, he, 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 would, he was struggling. Um, that's number one. Number two, the Ahmad Anderson catch. Um, this, once again, goes to show, keep them off special teams, line them up as a wide out. Uh, but with the catch, when you get down inside the five, with a chance to win the game, and you're averaging north of four yards per carry on the ground, you're in four down territory. Why are you throwing a goal line feed the route Dante hates? Because it's just a waste of a play. And another my my thing is, why did you not run the ball first, second, and third down? Why are we so allergic in today's football environment <laughs> to run the damn pigskin? It ain't that hard. Line up. You got men on your team, 11 men, five of them are 300 plus pounds. You got tight ends who are coming up on it. Line up, impose your will on your opponent. Let's be men. Let's knock some heads. Let's run the damn ball and get into the end zone, okay? Mm -hmm. I don't care how bad your offensive line is. It is bad. Hold on. You were averaging four yards per carry that day. Against the Navy defense, outside of John Marshall, I got news for everyone. It ain't that damn good. Run the ball the first three plays, figure out what to do from there. Instead, you settle for a field goal, you go to overtime, and here's my biggest issue, and Drayton made a joke about it Monday, and I knew he'd feel this way. Yeah, they didn't miss many gap assignments all game long, and then overtime comes. They finally play a good four quarters of run defense, and then overtime comes, and guess what happens? Your old bad habit comes back to bite you on your ass. You miss this an assignment in the run game, and the backup quarterback who did not play good at all, boom, touchdown, and that's it. Go ahead. Following Javon's point, you know, it's going to be a little you know, <laughs> tough because I'm not feeling as riled up, but, you know, in this game, there was plenty of missed opportunities, especially that one fourth and five in the fourth quarter where James Delapasca, the backup tight end, dropped the pass. Yep. That's where Temple could have really gained the momentum. And I think it's just another example where, you know, as much as this is a first year, you know, team and there's going to be ups and downs, it's still a roster that probably isn't where it wants to be in terms of talent. And you got a player in that situation and James Delapesco who just dropped an easy pass. Uh, a lot of mistakes, you know, like Javon mentioned, you can't drop a fumble inside the 20 if you're Mont Anderson Jr. Led the Navy's first touchdown, I think, at the beginning of the game. So just execution mistakes. Even at one point, Mackenzie Morgan or, you know, botches a punt and runs for nine yards and smacks it into a def- uh, like a, into someone's mm-hmm. back. So just yep. back. That was definitely supposed to be a fake that he got cold feet for at the end. I mean, he ends up, which is a weird stat because technically that still counts as a punt, even though one yard punt, even though it wasn't a punt because he got penalized for it not being a punt. Uh, I am not going to sit here and let Javon try to blow smoke up Temple's fans' asses and tell them that they were running the ball well on Saturday because that's horseshit. They were not running well. If you remove the one good Edward Sadie run, they were averaging 2.6 yards per carry. Like, it's not like they were consistently getting four, 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 and they decide, why aren't we getting four of these three straight times? They did it one time well, and the rest of the time they averaged the same crap they've averaged the entire year. Like, they are not a good running team. Can I do some math real quick? Sure. They were at the five. Also, right? convenient that you left out. Oh, they're averaging four yards per carry when you ignore the minus thirty for Edward for EJ Warner and the minus thirteen for Amon Anderson. The fact they averaged one yard per carry when you actually look at the real stats. Yeah, well, those eh, different. <laughs> Here's my thing. You said two point six before that big run, right? 
They were at the five outside of the. Oh my god, this is like my dad saying, "Well, why don't they just run the ball every single time?" <laughs> That's also not how averages work. Like yeah, averages do not mean they're going to get two point six, two point six, two point six. It can mean they go one, 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 and then the next time they get nine. You're like, right. I just feel as though it wouldn't have been a worse option than what they put out there on sure. the calling sequence. So somebody told me be more critical of the coaching staff and less of the players. I'll do it right there. I, I just don't know how many different ways we can like rephrase the fact that they are a bad offense. Kyle, I just feel as long with the play calling sequence that they put out there, it wouldn't have hurt to go ahead and just run the ball because what they called clearly wasn't enough. And I also feel as though when you got, what was it, five drops on the day, six? I mean, I, I, how much confidence do you have in dropping back in a big situation? You have a tight end, a stationary target. Ball hits him right in the numbers. Extended drive. All the momentum is on your side. You catch that, you're probably scoring. You're scoring at least three that drive. Yeah. Boom. Drop. Momentum's gone until the fourth quarter. Uh, Malik Cooper's drop. Interception. Like, the shaky hand, it, it was a lot of sloppy football for them that had only lost by seven on Saturday. And the way they lost was by probably their biggest weakness on defense showed up at the very worst of times. I don't know. I think South Florida might be, not even might be, I'll say South Florida is Temple's final chance at a victory this season. Wait, what? what's their biggest weakness that you're referencing? Misfitting in the run game. Misfitting in the run game. Well, I think, uh, you want to be negative, I think uh, another huge weakness finally showed its head on Saturday. I think they finally couldn't pass protect. And when they needed to pass protect the most, EJ Warner had no time. Like when he gets sacked on three consecutive plays, if not two. Yeah, it was yeah. two consecutive two in that fourth quarter drive. Busick got him. They're leading. They're leading pass rusher. Yeah, they just pressured. I, I thought. I, I thought in his third start, not that Victor Stoffel looked like Lane Johnson in the first two games, but I don't think Victor Stoffel had a good game on, on Saturday. I think that I think the whole line didn't pass protect again. Not in the most enviable position there, where Wisdom Core she's playing playing center you know so Klein's out Rodriguez is out James Famine was out so you're playing Bryce Thoman uh Wiz at center uh who am I leaving out so it was Isaac Moore left tackle it's that's right Jim Tobadegu started so um yeah I mean they just can't get any continuity going there and yeah they didn't they didn't pass protect well Caden nailed it I mean the the James Dallapaska drop might have been one of the turn one of the turning points of the game so could be a four and four team. I think even if they were four and four at this point, they're still masking a lot of, you know, if they had beaten Tulsa again, I think Tulsa was a winnable game, even though the final score wouldn't show it, this was a winnable game, but even if they were four and four and they're saying, Oh, we're still in the hunt for a bowl game, they would ultimately be masking a lot of issues and that they're, I know fans get sick of hearing it because ultimately the staff has to show whether or not they can get it done. But they're, I think if be realistic about what they are and what they are not. And they're just not a good team right now that has a lot of needs. I don't think they no, could. I'll build you out. You, you can take out Tulsa and just replace it with Rutgers. And there's your four and four right there. Yeah. So this is, uh, this is like 2013 all over again. When you think like, Oh, they could have won that game. They should have won that game. They could, yep. they didn't, they didn't win any. Right. Like they're, they should be two and six because they are a two and 16. Mm-hmm. Like, if they were a good team, yeah, they – I don't think they – like, Tulsa, they lost by 11 points. Like, it, it wasn't – it's not – like, Rutgers, it's a one-possession game. Navy goes to overtime. It's a one-possession game. Like, you could maybe convince my, me that they should have won those, but, like, they didn't. I think one, one of the telling things is for a team that lacks a lot of talent on offense, especially uh, the offensive line, 
there have been how many people do you think have played every single game on offense? More on Isaac Moore. Five. So James Del Pesco, who we've talked about, Wisdom Corsi, Edward Sadie, Jose Barbon, and Isaac Moore are the only ones that have played all eight games or offense. So like they are also like a depleted offense that doesn't really have the depth to absorb mm-hmm. that thing. We mentioned some names of people that have dropped balls on this that probably shouldn't be running those routes and in those positions to catch those balls or not catch those balls. Um, so I think it's just like a combination of lack of talent and lack of depth and injuries. Meanwhile, you have defense, like 20 guys that played eight, all eight games because they haven't been that injured on defense. Knock mm-hmm. on wood. Give mm-hmm. Zay Baines some credit though. Uh, yeah. cause the Zay Baines from Navy is not the Zay Baines from Tulsa. That's a beautiful, beautiful segue Javon, because I talked to Zay Baines after Monday's practice, got a chance to sit and talk to him one-on-one. As Javon mentioned, you know, targeted 10 times two weeks ago, did not catch a single pass. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that he didn't get the reps two weeks ago in practice, did get more reps this past week. Uh, well, uh, leading up to last Saturday's game, uh, played a lot better. You know, obviously still room for improvement there, uh, but played better. And, you know, even if you know, even if he ends up, even if, um, excuse me, even if um, Adonica Sanders comes back, he might be a little bit more um, involved in the, in the passing game, ended up catching three passes for 56 yards, um, had that 35 yard reception. He was targeted seven times. And I mean, he had some decent offers coming out of uh, coming out of high school in Virginia, had a chance to talk to him after Monday's practice. And here is uh, that interview with Zay that you can listen to now. I mean, obviously Saturday, it seemed like a step in the right direction for you because two weeks ago uh ej targeted you 10 times and you guys didn't connect was that like was two weeks ago against tulsa was that more of like uh, i mean obviously you're practicing every week Mm -hmm. but when adonicus goes down yeah and you're like the next guy up is there just some stuff you got to work through there where you were more comfortable this week as opposed to last week yeah it was just a little bit a matter of like just getting my feet wet and actually like the coaches and the staff we all did like a good job of just put me in the right positions to make plays you know obviously Dono went down so I had to step up and be ready because I, I practice every day like I'm, I'm a starter actually too so it's just being in that role kind of helped me and then the coaches put me in a position to make the plays it was it was a little bit better and like easier this week for yeah. me is it just I think more more reps I might sound like such a simple question but just yeah. getting that experience and then just more reps yeah, exactly play more does that how much does that help oh uh, it helps a lot uh obviously like because when I'm out here watching Dono say when before he went down like I'll always challenge him and just to make sure like when my time comes I'm ready to fill that role of, of those shoes what about the, the 35 yard catch you made Saturday was big can you just talk about that play uh yeah we just kind of needed something to get going so we our offense could get that momentum and that spark which uh it actually ended up happening for us I had that catch and then Amad had a big catch and ended up leading us to scoring so yeah it was just you know just loosening up and uh, realizing like these are the moments like in plays like this you make those plays what is this is it tough for you guys because you know, you're two and six, you're obviously competitive every week, and it doesn't seem like there's any quit in the team, and that game was right there for the taking. And Stan was just upstairs talking about, I don't question whether or not my kids want to win. I know they want to win. How do you stay positive every week? Do you just have to keep saying we're growing, we're growing, and just growing off of that? Uh, yeah, it's just a competitive mind state, too. Like, uh, I'm sure everyone, of course, everyone wants to win. No one is coming out here, like, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's just coaches doing a good job of keeping us ready and uh, just – lighting that fire up under us to keep competing, keep competing, not giving up on plays, and just to keep going. Where are you as a receiver now as opposed to where you were last year? Um, I feel like I'm, I'm a lot more mature. Like, I'm starting to understand the game a lot more. Uh, 
it's kind of actually starting to slow down for me sometimes. Like last year, I wasn't getting reps at all. So now, like that, I'm getting reps and I'm seeing how like okay, these are real game reps. Like I gotta watch a lot more film and notice like there's just the small details and things now. You and Ahmad have both had to work through some mistakes. I mean, you've had some bad luck on special teams with the ball just like goes yeah. off the foot. <laughs> when that happens. And like the, the spotlights on you and you're like, hey, you're only a human where you're probably right. thinking like, oh, like how, what's it like to work through that and then like bounce back in the way you did on, on Saturday? I mean, it, for me, honestly, it wasn't nothing to just work through that because uh, stuff like that is going to happen. Like I couldn't control like me not seeing like I'm, I'm working hard to like block for my man for my to get free and just in a bad spot and the ball just bounce off of me. Uh, it's just kind of next play mentality when stuff like that happens. Like, all right, it happened. I get ready for the next play. That, that play is out the way. Yeah. I can't be dwelling on that for the rest of the game because it's not going to do any good. What, how's your relationship improved with DJ? And what have you seen from him? I mean, he's still he's 18 years old. Right. He's played behind, well, with the exception of the Duke game. Eight, you guys have had eight different offensive lines with so much bad luck there with injuries. What have you seen from him as an 18-year-old true freshman who's playing quarterback? I'm really just staying poised. Like, he doesn't – a lot of times he doesn't seem like the moments are too big or he's shaking up. Like, mm -hmm. he kind of stays back there like he's been around for a, for a while. And uh, I think that's one of the main things. Like, and still giving guys chances, like you said, that uh, one game when me and him just couldn't connect. He kept coming back to me, though. But it's just – yeah, he's, he's just a, just a good, great guy. What have you seen from USF's defense and watching film on them so far? Uh, actually, today we just started uh, watching it, but they're they're like the fly around, good athletic secondary. I feel like we'll match up good, just executing on first and second down, so we'll make it easier for us to convert on those third and fourth downs. You feel like if if Adonis does come back, does come back this week, you feel like regardless, you're going to be more involved in the game plan now. Oh uh, yeah, I hope so. Yeah, for sure. I was about to say that Zay Baines was a fat uh, young guy, but he was a fat board guy. I, I remember when he committed, uh, they were excited to get him at the time. It's probably important to know that he only had three offensive snaps prior to this year. Like he played mop-up duties last year, so he's kind of growing in front of your eyes. And the way that this roster is kind of set with Ian Stewart being down, six foot two, six foot three, makes you one of the bigger wide receivers that are available to play for Temple. So I think Zay Baines playing – Probably helps him a little bit this year, but it really helps him next year when Adonis Sanders is gone. Maybe Jose Barbon's gone. Um, but yeah, encouraging. I would agree with what Javon said that he looked a lot better against Navy than he did prior weeks. Well, let's talk he about this. Caught US the ball. Yeah, yeah. As for this USF team that Temple is playing Saturday at the link, another 2 p.m. kickoff, right? Yes. Yeah. So which is dumb. Yeah, 2 p.m. 2 p.m. at the link on Saturday. So the Bulls are they're one and seven. They've played a pretty tough schedule, but they're one and seven. I mean, they've they played two ranked teams, you know, BYU and Florida in their non-conference schedule. They only lost to Florida by three, but they do have the Americans' worst defense. They're allowing 38 points a game. Uh Katravis Marsh got the start at quarterback against Houston, put up some pretty good numbers, 24 of 34 for 275 yards and a touchdown. He's a big guy, 6'5", 230. He had some pretty good offers at one time or another during his recruitment. Uh, when Stan Drayton was talking to us Monday during his weekly Monday press conference, we, which, as we mentioned before, he returned for, he was pretty high on Jimmy Horn Jr., their, their slot receiver. He's 5'9", 175 pounds. He has 22 catches for 381 yards and three touchdowns. Um, again, they're not really doing anything special defensively. Um, as I said earlier at the outset of the pod, Drayton City, he, he feels pretty good. He said he feels pretty good about Adam Klein and that James Favonu is working to get back. He said Adonica Sanders is doing, quote, much better with his knee sprain. 
So it looks like those three have a chance to play, but again, he, he Stan said that Rich Rodriguez will not play and he's still, as we said, recovering from that concussion in the, in the car accident. What are you guys thinking about this game? Javon said earlier that he thinks this is Temple's last chance at a win before things get, get tough again. What, what, are, what are your gut feelings on this game? Is Temple get Klein and Famu back and Sanders back and, and win this game? Or are you still skeptical? I think the unpredictability of who's healthy is really kind of making this decision of who I think is going to win really tough. Uh, this is the one game I'm in, agree, in agreement with Javon that if they don't beat USF, I don't think they get another win for the rest of the season. Uh, when it comes to it, I think Temple could have a hard time stopping UC, USF's offense. You mentioned uh, Jimmy Horn Jr. and Xavier Weaver, the two wide receivers that they have. They bring, you know, Stan Osaka talking about how they bring a real speed at the wide receiver position. So I think it might be a tough matchup for, you know, Jalen McMurray, even though he's looked really good, you know, in his role as a first year starter, single digit. I think it could be a tough matchup for the secondary with, you know, other rotating corners and Elijah Clark and Dominic Hill and Cameron Ruiz, whoever they throw out there. And then offensively, if you're missing three offensive linemen again, three offensive linemen again, I know it's USF and they give up 38 points a game, which is last in the conference, but and your offense isn't good. Like Kyle said, the run game hasn't gotten that much better. I mean, Edward Sadie's really the only guy that you can rely on. If you miss Adonicus Sanders again, can you really rely on Ahmad Anderson and Zay Baines to continue to do this? I and Jose Barbone in there, too, because yeah. his hands have been very suspect. Yeah, and exactly. And then EJ Warner, I mean, I know everything that's going around him, and he made some good throws in the fourth quarter, but, I mean, he's still, you know, is making some mistakes. He's still struggling. I think there's just so much going on where it's, it's too much unpredictability for me to, you know, feel like Temple's definitely a favorite in this game with three offensive linemen potentially, Adonica Sanders out. I don't know what direction I'm going in, but I think Temple's going to have a much harder time, you know, winning this game than people probably originally expected. I think coming into this year, we did like the schedule predictions. I was like, oh, they could beat USF. Maybe they could be another team. I'm not so sure they could beat USF with the way this team's currently constructed. And I think that Navy loss – I mean, momentum has part of it. You lose in overtime. That's a lot for a team, you know, in the first year of Stan Drayton without your head coach. I feel like it must take some amount of energy out of you as a program. You feel like you were this close and then you lost in that amount of by three, by seven points in overtime. I just feel like there could be a, you know, a little bit of a downfall and the team could come out with a lack of energy and lose. And I, I feel like I hear Caden on that one and, and um, that offense has to get on the same page and all that good jazz. But at the same time, I know who our listeners are at our school, and I'm going to agree with them here. There is no excuse to lose this game. You you have to win it. If, if you get three wins. South Florida is four wins under Jeff Scott. Mm-hmm. Four in three years. It, it, nobody's going to want to hear an excuse for losing this game. I'm, you, I'm sorry, but at some point, you do have a fan base to please. And that fan base demands a win against South Florida. Um, on that same note, those four wins. Um, I've been quoting Deion Sanders a lot lately, and I'm with him again. I, Scott, I, feel, I feel like you've been doing a Deion Sanders like impersonation for a little bit. Like, <laughs> Jeff Scott's got to stop taking these bye games. Like at some point, that's not it, his decision. I hear you, but at some <laughs> Jeff, the the athletic like directory, whatever. The athletic director who's also going to get fired, I believe. Yeah, like. Yeah. Yeah, at some point, the buy games stop becoming worth it. Like, you got to win some games at least at some point. Like, go ahead and – So, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. 
Because, like, would Jeff Scott not be – would he have secure footing if they had played Jacksonville, like, textile school instead of BYU yeah. in Florida? Like, no, like, he'd still get fired. Like, at the I, end, like – I hear that part. I especially feel like- USF, when you're a program that's in, like, a recruiting hotbed, like, yes, you need to I agree. be able to check yourself against higher programs. I agree. I agree. Like, I've got no problem with them playing those games. I don't it, it had they if they had two other empty wins on their schedule. If you inserted Lafayette and UMass on their schedule, hey. I don't think I don't think the I don't think the well, I mean I don't think that I don't think the head coach is in any better standing right now. And as Kyle said down there, you're recruiting against forget Florida, Florida State. You're recruiting against you're recruiting against UCF. You're even recruiting against like FAU and Atlanta. FIU. Yeah, they're conference So I mean, you're you have to be able to say to kids like, "Hey, if you come here, you're going to play some some big time football." I don't have a problem with them. Scheduling. And like they lost to Florida by three points. Yeah. So like, imagine yeah. if like if Jeff Sky had somehow beaten, gone into the swamp and like beaten Florida at Florida, regardless of what Florida is this year, then like that's a huge buoy to their recruiting efforts. No. Like, I think it. You don't think recruits look at that for like hypothetically say Jeff were to stick around for another year and he's got to go into recruiting, which he won't because this is the afterbirth of Jeff Scott. Like, yeah. like the baby's I, I been just, born. I feel like that record doesn't scream to recruits. Come on. Like, it's not helping your case. Like, I understand your argument completely. But I think there is an other side where it's like, I know the cats I know see that record. Hey, let me just phrase it this way. If you're a recruit, you're yeah, low three-star Javon Edmonds. Uh, you have you have an option. You're going to go to a program that's two and six right now, or I'm sorry, one and seven right now, but is playing Florida, Florida, BYU at Louisville, or you're going to go to school that's three and four and beat three nobodies. Like you can also sell the aspect of like you're playing in these big programs. You're going to have the spotlight. Like you grew up watching games in the swamp. Well, guess what? You can play in the swamp. There's different I mean, ways to spin it. I think it's something that, it's something that Stan Drayton's going to have to do. Yeah. Like Sandra in, in this recruiting class is, is going to have to sell it. People like, look, we only won two games, maybe three games, but like we're playing Miami next year. We're doing this. Like you have the opportunity to still be on a big stage. Like I don't think it only comes down to wins and losses. And I think, I think it's recruits are also smart enough to see through some of that bullshit when like, yeah, if you say you went four and eight, but your wins are over who cares schools, then like I have Google, man, I can tell who you played. I think that depends on the type of, you know, two and three star though like if it's the type where they're honest with themselves and they know that they should be ranked higher okay cool they'll they'll take the bait on that let me play these power five programs and show out and get myself an offer to portal out next year how much does that do for your team and your culture i don't i don't know but then there's a flip side where you get the guys who are two and three star for a reason and refuse to accept it about themselves and then you're still stuck with a bad culture of bad football and guys who just don't get it in that locker room. I think, I think you're, you're muddying the waters a bit there kind of unnecessarily, to be honest. I, I think we're arguing something different than what we started with, which is, <laughs> but like back to like, yeah, I mean, I think they're all valid points and like they're, whatever Jeff Scott's doing and whatever that athletic department's doing, isn't working right like one way or the other they have failed at what they're meaning to do they need a, a clean wipe um we have former friend of the a clean work. wipe yeah clean wipe man <laughs> yeah you don't want to keep wiping with the dirty wipe. yeah you gotta check but a friend of the uh the program not not the alsku program not necessarily but uh nikki bags is down there He'll play. oh my god i forgot about him 
Nicky Bags is like their backup defensive tackle. He plays like 20 snaps a game at this point. But yeah. he'll be playing. He'll be returning to the link. Hmm. Other than that, like they haven't thrown a pick in a while. That's encouraging, I guess, if you're USF. Um, but they don't do anything particularly well on offense, defense, special teams. Predictions from Kyle. administration. Caden already predicted. Also, Caden said he has a, he had trouble fun, thinking that uh, Temple would be the favorite here. That's because they're not. They're still underdogs in this game. They're three and a mm-hmm. half point dogs. Caden, <laughs> what? Give us a score. Like seventy two thirteen. Is this a route? All right, All right John. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm really conflicted on who I think will win. Uh, like I said, I do think that loss to Navy in overtime is somewhat defeating for a you know, team, especially that. There's playing a lot of players that are used to losing, so there's just that defeat feeling. I don't think they're going to be able to overcome three offensive linemen out, so I'm going to have to predict, like, at least we know Richard Rodriguez is out, and I'm going to guess James Famineau is out. He didn't really make it clear that, like, Famineau is definitely going to play by Friday. He said Klein, you know, talked about the single-digit stuff, and you felt good about Klein, so I feel like Adam Klein could be out there, but you're still missing two offensive linemen potentially there. If you don't have Adonica Sanders – I think they make it a close game, but I think it's another nail-biter where USF wins 24-21 at the link. It's going to be a three-point game, and Temple just doesn't have enough personnel, talent, and they're too banged up to win this game. And Stan Drayton, you miss a whole week. I mean, it's got to play a role of it. He's out of rhythm. He's been been out of the building for a week, just getting back. Like Javon mentioned on Monday, he didn't look that good. He still looks sick. So I think all those factors, Temple's you know, got a lot going on right now where USF, you might – you might have a bad program, but, you know, like Kyle mentioned, they played programs like Florida. They played programs like Cincinnati Tough this year. And those you know, games were, that they're buying, even though they're one and seven, they've been competitive in some of these games. They only lost a two lane by two touchdowns. You feel like that experience of playing, you know, better competition this year and being in some of those games, you know, maybe gives them some confidence that, you know, they got to win for their coach, you know, down the stretch here at some point. So I think USF does enough to win this game. Mm. Mm. Javon? Oh, man. Let's see. I feel like the athleticism of South Florida is good enough for an upset. Well, it's not even an upset because they're favored in this game. Like, I, I think I'm going with South Florida 24 to 20. Um, And the message boards and the Facebook fan group will be outrageous. I'm sure Pro Better will be responding to my tweets. <laughs> I'm sure the comment section of the game story on the Inquirer will be pretty interesting too. But uh, yeah, I, I can't, I can't tell myself to say Temple's going to win. I can't. I think it's South Florida twenty-four to twenty. I think both of you guys predicting the game's going to be in the uh, combined score of the 44, 45 is interesting considering I don't think either of these teams. I think South Florida is good enough offensively to put up points, but I think they're so bad defensively that Temple should hopefully finally be able to put points. Um, very weird to me that this far into the season, these two teams are in the same division. I know there's not really like, you know, divisions anymore. Uh, same division. I have not played a single mutual opponent. Like they're both 0-4. They play just different American teams. So there's not really that like, oh, well, Temple beat Tulane by whatever and then blah, blah. You can't really have that as a comparison. Did I say they were going to win last week? No, I think I no 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 because no, I thought I thought US I thought Navy would just run all over them. Yeah, uh, I don't think so. I think Temple wins this game. Mm. I don't think South Florida. Like the tone. I think they. I think they win this game. I don't think South Florida's ever played well up here ever. Mm. It just mm. like Temple's never played well down there. Like it's always mm. just like back and forth, crap, crap, crap. I think they're bad enough defensively that Temple gave, gave that this gets into the thirties. 
they're 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 making plays on defense. I mean, Leighton Jordan has the most career defensive touchdowns of any Temple player, despite having entered the season with zero defensive touchdowns. Um, I think I think they're going to be able to get pressure there. I think I think they win this one kind of similar to how they won in 2020. I think it's going to be in the mid to high 30s. I'm going to say they win this 38 to 31. I'm thinking 28 17 Temple. I agree with Kyle. I think that they, I think they turn around and win this game uh, again. Stan Drake did not offer any definitive statuses. He said he feels pretty good about Adam Klein. So we're guessing here, said James Fanny was fighting to get back. We know they're not getting Rich Rodriguez back, according to Stan. He said that Adonica Sanders is doing much better. Again, nothing definitive. But if a couple of those guys are trending in the right direction, I think if they can at least get Adam Klein back for this game, I, I, I agree with Kyle. USF has traditionally not played well at Temple. I I I do agree they have some athletes. They, they've got some playmakers, but I, I think the Temple's going to turn around and win this game. I'm going to say uh, this. I'm going to say this real quick. I don't – I understand what Javon's saying. We're saying, like, if they lose this game, like, Facebook groups are going to be pissed and people are going to be tweeting, blah, blah. I do not think it matters. Like, I don't think this game matters whatsoever. I mean, tune in and listen to the scoop and read our coverage, but I do not think, like, wins and losses matter in this. If they lose every single game the rest of the year and they go 2-10, and 10, I think a mass – I think there's going to be a mass purge this offseason anyway of a lot of guys on this roster. Oh, yeah. I think, like, think at this point there's been the full year under Stan Drayton. Um, if you go 2-10 and 10 or 3-9, and nine, does it matter? Like, I think there's still going to be guys that you can – that the coaching staff is going to be able to tell, like, they are not culture fits yep. or they gave up. Or, hey, look, look, we're just looking for more X, Y, and Z at that position that you're not able to fulfill. I think there's going to be a, a pretty significant turnover in this roster anyway. I don't think an extra win matters. It's not like all of a sudden if they win this game, they're going to be so motivated that they go out and go 6-6. Six and six. Like I think regardless. I just think the team around. That's what I'm saying. Like I think I, I don't think – like I get, I get that, but what I'm saying is I think you'll be able to tell by the way that people react, like the, the team reacts, whether or not they go 2-10 and 10 or 3-9. and nine. I think you'll be able to tell, like, this guy's head screwed on tight. He sees yeah. what we're trying to accomplish, regardless of what happens this week. Mm-hmm. All right, let's. But before we, uh, what we're going to do later on, we don't. It's, it's slow week. We don't have any mailbag questions. We did put out the call for mailbag questions a little bit later, so our apologies there. But oh, I didn't um, think about this shit. Okay, yeah, yeah. keep going. <laughs> well, we, we're we're going to talk a little bit of a, a recruiting update that we didn't get to last week, and we got some women's hoops to talk as well. Um, Temple did a couple weeks ago, a couple Sundays ago. They got. Uh, verbal from Zaheem Coleman Frazier from Timber Creek High School over in South Jersey. Uh, he had previously been committed to Monmouth and, and you know, it previously had, you know, FCS offers Taos and Stony Brook, Rhode Island, Monmouth, um, Delaware, Bryant. Um, again, we can't talk to coaches on the record and, until until these players sign, but uh, Jafar Williams, I think, was one of his lead recruiters there. Obviously, Preston Brown's heavily involved in South Jersey. So, um, looks like Temple's going for, for speed here, uh, six feet, 165 pounds, a really fast player. Um, we'll see if this turns out to be, you know, one of those gets for Temple where, you know, they're trusting the tape, they're trusting what they see. They did have him in at one of their camps at the Memorial day camp that they brought back that they had gotten rid of, which was a huge mistake under Rod Carey. So, uh, they, they had him in for camp can only assume that, you know, that they liked what they saw and kept monitoring him, kept monitoring him and then you know, and then, and then flipped them from Monmouth. So Temple is up to 17 verbals now. So uh, again, if you are an alscoop.com subscriber, you can read, uh, you can read our story uh, about him from when he verbaled a couple weekends ago. Um, 
We are going to be talking a little bit more women's hoops uh, in the coming weeks with Diane Richardson in her first year on North Broad Street. Javon, you were at the scrimmage last night. They played St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, would they force 36, 38 turnovers? It was uh, <laughs> it was a defensive showcase. I'll tell you that. Yeah, but again, like just just give us a glimpse. Obviously, again, that you you can either you can play a close scrimmage against a D one team, or you can play an exhibition that's open to uh, to fans for against a D two team or D three team. Um, but yeah, the Temple really really you know cruised in this one. Like you said, in, in terms of the score. It was a meaningless scrimmage, one sixteen to forty eight. So not not much of a contest there, but yeah, you know, it was more about just getting getting these players out on the floor. What what did you see from Diane Richardson's team? Again, obviously they're going to be tested much more than this than they were against the D two team last night. But what did you see? Um, D three team, I, excuse me. Defensively, anything. I, I feel like it was just the, the team in general. I think as a whole. When you looked at last season's team, and I've said this a lot, uh, and I think last night confirmed it, despite them playing a Division II program. Um, Division three. Three. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> thank you for that correction. Um, I'm looking at last year's team and Tanya Cardoza's last few years, and then I'll turn on Thursday Night Basketball on TNT and see the Clippers. And it will look like the same exact thing. Mia Davis, Kawhi Leonard. Throw it to the best player, stand around and watch. No offense hinders your team. That was Temple last season. And then I look at this year, that ball did not stop moving. And off the ball, did not stop moving. I saw flares and pin downs last night. I can't tell you the last time I saw that from a Temple women's basketball team. High pick and roll. Deception in the high post, backdoor cuts, a lot of screen and lift action, a lot of zoom action. They played actual basketball last night, which I think is the encouraging part for fans. Defensively, they're in the pass lanes. They're very solid on rotation. Uh, now, I will say St. Thomas Aquinas did not have a single, a single ball handler on their team whatsoever. So it, it was easy pickings. Last night, but uh, I, I think the team in general, they're just a better basketball team. They might not even – I think they have a more talented roster than last season, number one. Then you pair that with what I believe to be a better coaching staff, a better philosophy. This team's going to be better than last season's team. Like, they are not in a rebuild whatsoever. I think they're retooling. Probably already retooled. It's a little early to say that, but – this is more of a retool and compete for a top four spot in the conference than rebuild and compete for a bottom four spot. I really believe that. So they open Monday against they open Monday against Princeton. So the season's coming up. So you think this is not a rebuild? No, I don't think so. When you've got Aaliyah Nelson replacing Mia Davis on your team, um, and you bring in a shooter like T Mac Gary uh, and an offensive rebounder like Rain Tucker. I don't think it's a rebuild at all. And I think the best part, and I put it in the story, was when your like best scorer, who is the Leah Nelson, and is also one of the best passers in the country and takes it upon herself to not only get herself going, but get her teammates going, that's a dangerous formula. It's why Towson was the best team in the CAA under Richardson. 
Uh, I mean, a, a couple of things there. One, they did it all without Kendall Currents, too, the Northeastern transfer, who's probably like their second or third best scoring option, averaged 16 yep. points a game last year. Um, two, I don't think Mia Davis had a future Hall of Famer next to her like Kawhi Leonard does. Um, and <laughs> three, yeah, a bit of a, a springboard to go from D3 to a top 25 team against Princeton on Monday. So yeah. that'll be interesting. <clears throat> and then they have a big, <clears throat> excuse me, they just added um, to round out their staff when Nisha Smith, the, the former Duke standout, is now the third assistant on that staff. So I don't think it's a rebuild. Let me rephrase it. I do think it's a rebuild, but I think the rebuild's already happened. Like mm-hmm. last, like the, there's a reason Tanya Cardoza got fired because this, the program was going the wrong way and needed an infusion of talent. I think the rebuild happened in the last eight months when uh, Diane Richardson really like infused this roster with some talent. Yeah. And the energy around that team, like they're fun. They, they love each other. They love basketball. Like, y'all saw how loose they were at Cherry and White Knight. They brought all the energy. While the men's team, I understand, because they're strictly business this year. Like, the men's team came out stiff compared to the women at Cherry and White Knight. Like, I just think that combination of hunger and, and like, being fun-loving people, that's good for a basketball locker room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in the end, do I think they're going to average 116 points and, you know, 58 <laughs> points a game off turnovers? Like, no, but, like, it's not out of the realm of possibility for them to be in the high 70s. Like, Diane Richardson's teams are usually in the high 70s, low 80s a game, which for women's basketball is a pretty impressive number. So, should be She exciting. said something in the post-game presser yesterday where it's like, all right, come on, Diane. You got to just be talking to talk here. She said they're aiming to shoot 46% from three as a team. For the full season, for sure. And I'm hoping I grow to be six six. Like it's not going to yeah. happen. Like, <laughs> come if they on, shoot, if, they shoot 40, if they shoot forty six percent, then like you might be hoisting a banner. Yeah, like, like <laughs> if you shoot thirty six percent from three as a team, you're pretty right. damn good. They shooting. shot like twenty nine percent last year, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Granted, they were just like a bad shooting team, but like that's a monumental leap. Yeah, yeah. which like, hey, 40, nobody is forty six. Like no, right? nobody shoots that. I lied. We do. We did get too late. Uh, a two oh, part. Boy. Mailbag question on, on, on Twitter here from uh, the Twitter handle is off the hook three. I'll ask these two questions and then are we going to go through with what we were going to say no, here? No, like, we uh, have questions now. We're good. And we were going to ask each other mailbag questions. We're going to ask each other our deepest, darkest secrets. We're going to play Never Have I Ever live on. <laughs> <laughs> you just see Caden just duck off camera. Um, all right. So first question here. In the year 2033, Temple will be playing sports in the blank conference. What year was it? 20... 2033. So I think legitimately, if you go out long enough, Temple eventually gets in the ACC because I think eventually there's just going to be still so much chaos. I just think the Temple eventually gets to the ACC and the ACC is essentially what the American Athletic Conference is now. Like, I think you're just playing routine chairs. So I will say 2033, though. I bet you they're still in the American. Javon, Caden? Uh, 2033. I kind of go with Kyle where I think it'll still be the American conference, but I could see that shift to the ACC, especially with the way college football is changing. Everyone's leaving conferences. So I feel like it's so unpredictable, but yeah, I kind of see the American athletic conference from the ACC as well. Maybe there'll be another conference that forms. I I have no idea. College football is just confusing nowadays. I couldn't even put my finger on it. If you're a Temple, if you're a Temple fan, you should be your biggest rooting presence should be for Clemson's lawyers. If Clemson can find a way to get out of that grant of rights and just like get out of the ACC with UNC and Miami and Notre Dame, then and the ACC is all of a sudden looking to add four teams, then like Temple's a, a no-brainer. If that grant of rights is enforceable and they're there until 2035, then like 
I'll, am I here in 2035? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle's always very, very well in touch with his own mortality. Yeah, man. It's, that about it's, you. it's the one thing you can't, you can't hide from, right? Yeah. Like, Run from it. It comes yes, nonetheless. You when you, when people say father time is undefeated, Kyle takes it as if to say like, it doesn't mean I'm just he's, like, he's house of me. He's house of me. Like, like father's father time has put the subs in and we're only in the second quarter. <laughs> Why? What, what pain are you experiencing? Yeah, I feel constant. Like I, I when I was like young, I would hear people talk about chronic pain. I was like, what the hell does that mean? And I'm like, Oh yeah, no, I get it. Like I'm pretty much constantly <laughs> sore. Like I'm just constantly sore. Hmm. Stretch, Kyle. Stretch. It's the Billy Madison, like shaking the kid, like don't you grow up. <laughs> I agree with Kyle. If I think that's a good way of putting it, like I, I do think it's interesting to look at to keep an eye on, like like Kyle said, Clemson's lawyers. If if they don't blow up that grant of rights, I think Temple's still in some form of uh, of the of the American by then. Um, I think. Oh, go ahead, Jamal. I, I feel like by thirty three, the American's going to be fully southern. Like that's there it is. There it is, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think Temple and Navy are part of that in 11 years. Like, I think things probably do get sped up. Like, I'm with. I feel like the ACC. I I feel like in the next 10 years, we will see Duke, Carolina, Miami, and Clemson in the SEC. I I think Notre Dame. The hell with it. I think Notre Dame grows a pair and gets to the Big Ten by then. And I think the ACC will be scrambling and looking. They will be calling Villanova and Temple. I think, I think Duke, by 33. Duke, Duke and the SEC is just Vandy. Like, mm-hmm. especially when you're going through turmoil in basketball. But, like, football-wise, like, small enrollment, mm-hmm. academic, like, institution. Like, I don't know. I, I get it. Like, I think they'd be interested in Tyler because of that basketball brand. But, like, in an ideal world, I want the ACC to blow up. Because I want, like, I want Temple to go back to playing, like, play Boston College, play Pitt. Play Pitt, play West Virginia, like play these schools that make sense to play instead of yeah. playing these random ass schools. Because like, if you're just playing schools that you've never heard of until they join the conference, or to steal a phrase of somebody else, like if you're playing schools that you wouldn't know where they where they were if their city wasn't in the name, like what are we doing here? But mm-hmm. I think money is going to outweigh this, and the ACC will just continue to to hold on. Mm-hmm. Question number two from Off the Hook Three here. Is Temple's basketball pie in the sky hopes for this year, the Sweet 16? I don't think that's pie in the sky, to be honest. I, like when I think pie in the sky, I think like like ridiculous, right? Yeah. Like ridiculous. Like, oh my God, everything worked out great. Damian Dunn developed a massive three-point shot, shot 75% from the threes mm-hmm. and like dragged them there. I think like would it would a sweet 16 be a monumental achievement for this team? Yes. Like mm-hmm. it'd be a massive step in the right direction. I don't think it's so unreasonable to call it pie in the sky. Because once you're in the you tournament, think they're good enough to win two games in March? I think they're good enough to get in the tournament. And once you get in the yeah. tournament, it doesn't it's matter. It's just about like the matchups. And are they hot at the right time? Not to not to right. sound like we're talking about baseball. baseball. Are they hot at the right time? And do they get a good matchup? If they get out of like they were that close a few times with with Fran Dunphy, if they had gotten past indiana if they gotten past san diego state i mean if they if you look at the bracket on selection sunday and they say they can just get past this team like yeah why not yeah i think it's i was gonna make the same comparison it's a baseball playoffs it's just get in and see what happens Mm -hmm. like and i think if they're good enough to get in which i think they are if everything clicks right then like yeah sure they can make the sweet 16 Mm -hmm. i think if they make the sweet 16 then you're cooking with gas a little bit and then expectations continue to rise but yeah sure yeah, I, I, I would start by getting in the tournament. 
Yeah. I think that's my preface. Everything goes right. Like Jalil White and Zach Hicks. Well, Jalil, Dame, and KB and Jamil are all conference players, either defensively, first team or second team. Zach Hicks looks like, you know, the best shooter in the conference. Hashir looks like he can man the point guard. Like everything goes right. I think Sweet 16 is attainable. Ron, you just said right now. You just mentioned if four players make all conference, if Zach Hicks is the best shooter in the conference, and I like all this, like, yeah, if all those things work, then they're probably going like 30 and two, and we're talking like a three seed. I think no, I'm saying, I, think I, I say that, I say that because what they all can be would warrant that in the conference right mm-hmm. now. Like, yeah. that's not saying they'd be that great. I just don't know how many guards are in the conference that are better than Dame, KB, Sasser. And and who is it? Forbes or Cook down there at Tulane? One of them. Um, who, who just went to Memphis? Oh, and Kendrick said. Davis. Yeah, and Kendrick, Kendrick Davis. Davis. Yeah. Um, like outside of that, how many Greek guards are in the American? No, I think I think I mean we didn't talk that much about basketball, which is interesting considering they open up on Monday. But um, like I think I think they have a chance at having the best backcourt in the conference. Like I really yeah. do. And if that's the case, then like that can take you places. That can especially take you places in March. Mm-hmm. Like if you're especially when you got a big man like Jamil Reynolds yeah. down there. If he if he lives up to the billing, if he lives up to the billing, they're cooking with fish grease. But you feel like that's got to be the missing piece for them. If Jamil can play, it takes them over the top. They need that big man to finally hit. It hasn't worked. No offense to Jake Forrester and Nick Jardine and every other guy they've tried. It hasn't. They haven't found that guy that can really score in the low post. And if the way that they're talking about Jamil, if he can do that with the guards that they have, it takes them over the top. So I feel like for me. That's what the season comes down to. It doesn't come back, come down to KB. It doesn't come down to Dame Dunn. If Jamila runs and if uh, Jamila Reynolds and Kerr can play, it takes you over the top and gets you in the tournament. Hey, now after that, I don't think you had to say no offense to Jake Forrester because Jimmy <laughs> Finnerty and Aaron McKee damn sure haven't said no offense. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do I've think- been shocked by the way they've talked about like how displeased they were with their big men in the past. I think in three weeks you're going to know, like, look, do they have to win the tournament or are they, like, an at-large team? Like, once they get back – We will know by November 22nd. Once they get back from that Empire Classic, it's going to be like, do they have enough notches in their belt, like, to really do this? Or is it going to be like, okay, well, now let's see what happens when they get in the conference. I also would not underestimate how does the – how do things go when they – I mean, he can play, he can shoot. How do things go when they re-ingratiate Caleb Battle into into the lineup? How do things go? How do they share the ball? How does Caliph uh, potentially handle getting getting fewer shots? Uh, I think that's something to to keep an eye on as well. So, so next time we talk to you guys, we will be talking about yeah uh, season openers. We'll be we'll be talking about the the Temple USF game. We'll be talking about season openers from both basketball squads, and then we'll be talking about. Uh, the big game coming up, big Temple basketball game coming up against Villanova. So we'll have a lot more coming up. Thanks for sticking with us for another episode, and we will talk to you all soon.